We thank thee for the powerful reminders that we cannot find any encouragement or strength within ourselves. Only despair and hopelessness comes forth from human nature and from flesh and blood. Dear Father, we cannot even remember on our part thy works of past days except you remind us. We thank thee, dear Father, for thy holy word. We thank thee for the sanctuary of thy people where they gather in your name. There you reveal your work and your power is seen among your children. We thank thee this morning, dear Father, as we are gathered in the name of our Savior, that we can look and behold away from ourselves and up with the eyes of faith unto him who before whom the waters fled and the raging sea, dear Father, was stilled. We thank thee, dear Father, for the river of death that is no longer an obstacle to your children. We need not fear, but it has fled far from our sight. Dear Father, in the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, we rest this morning and we wait upon thee that thou would open thy word unto thy servant and that we may receive thy word with gladness. Dear Holy Father, give us hearts that invite thy word and that we may look beyond that which human eyes can see and ears can hear, that we may hear the word of faith that we may behold the redemptive work of him who in beauty has clothed us in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Dear Father, may thy word reach into the heart of the one who is deeply troubled. May thy word find an abiding and a fruitful place in the heart that is full of sin this morning. Dear Father, bring the unbelieving to the throne of grace. Give conversion, dear Father, unto the lost. Bring peace and rest unto the troubled homes, unto the troubled families where Jesus Christ does not rule or reign. Dear Lord, humble and break the proud hearts and lift up thy name within our souls and the souls of many, that thou, Father, may be magnified, that thy good and most glorious grace which gives beauty unto your flock of children, that we may sing out of your congregation praises of thanksgiving to your holy name, for thou hast redeemed and saved us. Dear Father, we pray also this morning for all of those who have have asked to be remembered in prayer. We pray for the ministers of the gospel, those far and near, those who work and labor in lonely places in far away, places in the world. We pray for Brother Dennis Hillman this morning, who is laboring in Siberia, those in in Africa, Nigeria, and those in India and elsewhere. And, oh, dear Father, help us to remember that the loneliest place of all can many times be our own hearts. It can be in our own homes, dear Father, we who dwell so close and are near the throne of grace where we, Father, have the availability of your presence with us always, but our hearts sometimes become so filled with pride and self-centeredness that we lock ourselves up unto the availability of Jesus pouring in the waters of comfort and assurance into our souls, and we try so hard on our own to do that which is right and bring peace to our souls. Dear Father, show us again 
in your holy word and the wonderful streams of life that we are invited to drink drink of and and that we may worship as a family of God who can say that you are our Father. And for that reason, dear Lord, we now turn unto thee as the family of God in Christ Jesus and say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.
May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us this morning, hour of grace, and forever. Amen. I'm sure that perhaps last week you received greetings from the congregation in Sylvan Lake, Alberta, Canada. I would add to those greetings the greetings from my wife and our family there. And it is certainly a blessing to be gathered around God's Word this morning, also to be witnesses of the baptisms that took place, the beautiful miracle and sacrament that God has instituted for his children in order that they might be sealed unto him. This morning for a meditation, shall we read from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, from the 31st chapter, beginning with the 16th verse and reading through the 26th verse from Deuteronomy chapter 31, and we read as follows in Jesus' name. And the Lord said unto Moses, Behold, thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, and this people will rise up and go a-whoring after the gods of the strangers of the land, whither they go to be among them, and will forsake me and break my covenant which I have made with them. Then my anger shall be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them, and I will hide my face from them, and they shall be devoured. And many evils and troubles shall befall them, so that they will say in that day, Are not these evils come upon us, because our God is not among us? And I will surely hide my face in that day for all the evils which they shall have wrought, in that they are turned unto other gods. Now therefore write ye this song for you, and teach it the children of Israel, Put it in their mouths, that this song may be a witness for them, for me, against the children of Israel. For when I shall have brought them into the land which I swear unto their fathers, that floweth with milk and honey, and they shall have eaten and filled themselves and wax and fat, then will they turn unto other gods and serve them, and provoke me, and break my covenant. And it shall come to pass, when many evils and troubles are befallen them, that this song shall testify against them as a witness, for it shall not be forgotten out of the mouths of their seed, for I know their imagination which they go about, even now, before I have brought them into the land which I swear. Moses therefore wrote this song the same day, and taught it the children of Israel, and gave Joshua the son of Nun a charge, and said, Be strong and of a good courage, for thou shalt bring the children of Israel into the land which I swear unto them, and I will be with thee. And it came to pass that when Moses had made an end of writing the words of this law in a book until they were finished, that Moses commanded the Levites, which bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, saying, Take this book of the law and put it in the side of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there for a witness against thee. Amen. Our brother read from the 77th Psalm, which concludes with the reference to the story of the journey of the children of Israel, from their captivity and oppression in Egypt, all the way through the wilderness, and finally to the promised land, which God had promised unto them way back in the time of Abraham. And this particular text that we have here, and the time that is being dealt with late in the book of Deuteronomy, is a remarkable and a, an important time in the journey of those Israelite people because this comes at a time where they are 
going to leave the wilderness and cross the River Jordan, the river of death that flows into the Dead Sea, that often overflows its banks at the time of harvest. That river they needed to cross in order to enter into that land which had been sworn to them and which incidentally is the physical land that they still claim for themselves today. And it is about this land that the battle rages even today more than ever in the Holy Land between the children of Israel, the Jewish people who have claimed this land from this heritage and those who are the children of Ishmael by their own statement, those that are of Arab or Palestinian or more importantly of the Islamic faith. And that battle rages because each lays claim to the land, the physical land, and says that it is by right theirs. And there doesn't seem to be any resolution in sight. And I believe that none of us can know the outcome exactly of what is going to happen as this nation is now at the brink of war with the enemies of Israel and as the Israel nation itself is under continual threat and attack. None of us can know exactly what that outcome is, but we may be comforted this morning that our God has foreseen and known this outcome long ago. And we can believe that all of the things that are happening, wars and rumors of wars, and all of the things that are so frightening and threatening, I believe that the instruction that we find from our Lord is, when these things come to pass, look up for your redemption draweth nigh. And I believe that we can be comforted that this is in the hand of God, and all of these events are thoroughly in his hand. But even more so, as we look at this text this morning, we find that there is another thing taking place that is of great importance to us, and that is the death of the Lord's servant and prophet Moses. As Moses, as the Sunday school children will even remember, having been born a Hebrew and yet having been adopted by the daughter of the Pharaoh, raised in the Pharaoh's court. There were not many Hebrews, the Hebrew people that could write in those days, and yet he was raised in the court in the house of the Pharaoh, and he was able to write, as, it's, as it is, the first five books of the Bible. And Moses, who so beautifully was given the power to be the one who would be the leader of the children of Israel as they were in the years of oppression in Egypt, to deal with the Pharaoh, and then to lead as God guided them away from Egypt, across the Red Sea, into the wilderness, and to the place where the children of Israel murmured and complained and were seeking after other gods. And they found them. They created them with their own hands out of gold. And Moses, who felt that he was such a, of such a poor speech and tongue, had his brother Aaron speak for him. God allowed it to be that way. 
And then as we see that Moses was the one who on Mount Sinai received the two tablets that had been hewn by the hand of God and had been written on by the hand of the finger of God concerning the covenant that he had. And also the Ten Commandments that were received the first time they were broken when Moses came down from the mount and saw the sin of the people. And he says earlier in this same book that I took the tablets that were in my ta tables that were in my two hands. I looked upon your sin and I broke those tables. This symbolized and symbolizes even today who it is that breaks the covenant of our God. That covenant and that promise of salvation, the covenant that speaks of a promised land and that speaks of eternal life, it is man who breaks that. And it was from the hands of man, the hands of Moses, that those tables were cast down. He also tells the children of Israel that after he had done that, he said, and I took your sin and I ground it into powder and I cast it into the brook. And I believe that this is a symbol to us of the way in which Moses was a form of Christ, even from the Old Testament, where he interceded on behalf of the people. When the wrath of God was ready to remove these people, to destroy them, Moses did not excuse their sin, but he said that if you will spare these people, then remove my name from the book of life. Forsake me. Forsake me in order that these people may live. And this is the beautiful picture that we have of our Lord Jesus Christ, who was innocent of the sin of the people. And in that sense, Moses there on Mount Sinai did not participate in that horrible transgression that the people were doing in creating these gods that they worshipped out of gold, that they said brought them out of Egypt. And Moses interceded on behalf of the people, and God spared the people. And here we have now the end of the life of Moses, a perfectly healthy 120-year-old man. There was nothing wrong with him physically. There was no ailment that took him away. But the Lord simply said to him, Behold, thou shalt sleep with thy fathers. I think it's in the early part of this same chapter <clears throat> where the Lord said unto Moses, or Moses spoke to the people of Israel and said, I am 120 years old this day. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> I can no more go out and come in. <clears throat> also, the Lord has said to me, thou shalt not go over this Jordan. Moses, you are not going to go across the river Jordan and into the promised land. Your work your steps, your time on earth have come to an end. This was by the decree of God. Even though, as the <clears throat> last chapter of Deuteronomy tells us, that Moses was 120 years old when he died, his eye was not dim, nor his natural force abated. And so we see that it was time for this Moses, this prophet, this bringer of the law, that he would die and that he would be replaced. And by whom would he be replaced? Physically, he was replaced by Joshua, whom he anointed, as our text mentions. He anointed to this uh, office. He gave him this charge. And yet spiritually, already earlier in Deuteronomy, there is the, the promise that is given long before concerning the coming of a new prophet unto the people. The coming of the prophet 
It's in the book of Exodus. At any rate, there was the the prophet that was spoken of that would be sent to the people such that they would be able to look upon that prophet and follow him, the 18th chapter of Deuteronomy, where Moses is writing. He said, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. He speaks there of this coming of a new prophet, And I believe that still today there is much struggle and discussion about who that prophet would be. We know that that prophet that was spoken of to come after is the Lord Jesus Christ, whom we should follow, whom it was instructed they follow then, and who we still follow today. But there is much division in the world today around this prophet that is spoken of, remembering that it is Christianity, the Jews, and the Islamic faith that all share these first books of the Old Testament, the writings of Moses. The Islamic faith believes that that prophet that has, is, has been spoken of as being the one to follow is the prophet Muhammad. And they believe that that is the prophet that was then given after Moses that would be that high prophet, that greatest prophet, and this is who it is that they follow. But what was it that Moses spoke of when he spoke of that prophet that was coming? He spoke of the love and the grace of God. He spoke of love and mercy and forgiveness. He himself interceded for the people, asking God that this forgiveness might be applied to them. And where it tells us at the end of Deuteronomy, And there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. I believe that any prophet that does not speak of love and mercy and forgiveness is not that prophet that is, that is prophesied for us in this book. I have read to some degree, and many of you have read more, the Koran. I have read some of it. I especially, after September the 11th, started to read. And it was fascinating to see how accurate how accurately it reflects many of these events of the Old Testament, most of them, in fact, even to the point where Abraham went up onto the mount and took forth the knife to slay his son. Only they say it was Ishmael upon the altar rather than Isaac. But nowhere found in the Koran is the notion of forgiveness nor grace. It speaks of obedience, It speaks of the very exacting demands that are the right of God to demand, but it does not speak of forgiveness nor of grace. And I believe that when we look at Moses and his passing, his passing was accompanied by the promise of a greater prophet who would come and who would speak of the mercy and grace and forgiveness of God. Here, where he tells Moses that there is trouble coming to your people. You are going to stop here. You are going to sleep with your fathers. But this people will rise up and go a whoring after the gods of the strangers of the land. Whither they forsake, they will, whither they go to be among them and will forsake me and break my covenant which I have made with them. And I believe that here the Lord is acknowledging that it was man who broke the covenant. It was man who broke that precious covenant that was then the second time written upon the tables of stone 
and placed into the ark that the Israelites have carried now all the way through the wilderness to the edge of the river Jordan. It was man who broke that covenant. And can't we even acknowledge within our own hearts that when our hearts have been affected by this question of what is my relationship with my Father in heaven, we must acknowledge that he has not broken his promises to his people. He has not broken the promise that has culminated in the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave his life on the cross in order that all of our sin and the sin of all mankind could be forgiven. In fact, we see that at every turn, our God has been faithful and he has preserved that promise to the point where we are able to gather as God's children and speak of a living promise that is still with us here today. He has preserved that promise against all odds, against all dangers and perils. It is not God who has broken the covenant, but our hearts are, are humbled and they are crushed when we realize I have broken. I have broken that which I cannot repair. It's a tough thing in life when we come to something that we have been responsible for and we only. We have made a mistake, we have made an error, and we are unable to fix that error. We cannot go back and relive those moments, those hours, those days of mistake and error. We can't. And this is where the forgiveness and the grace that is in our Lord comes to us, where it, it is not in that which we are able to go back and make patchwork of, it is not that which we are able to go back and repair so that it looks almost like it did before, but it lies in us acknowledging, I cannot repair what I have broken. I am in need of the grace of God. I am in need of forgiveness. And we are able to hear that blessed message of forgiveness that comes through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the blood that he shed in order that all of those errors might be taken away from us. God here admits that it was certainly man who broke that covenant that had been made. And he speaks there in the next few verses about the difficulties and the trials that are going to come to the people, that they are going to fall away from him. Many evils and troubles will be there, and that surely he will hide his face in that day for all the evils which they shall have wrought, in that they are turned unto other gods. Remembering that one of the names of God is Jealous and that he is the jealous God who does not brook the taking on or the worshiping of other gods. This is what it is to break that covenant. And here we see that there is great trouble coming, and we wonder how God could foresee all of that trouble, and how is he going to, how is he going to deal with that trouble that he knew was going to happen? And we remember how in the wilderness there were so many that fell away, just as the Lord had said they would here. So then the question becomes, what is he going to provide so that this covenant might carry forward? And it's interesting that he provides a song. He tells Moses to write this song for you and teach it the children of Israel and put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel. Whenever God taught the Old Testament people a song, and whenever he teaches us a song today, what does that song speak of? It speaks of his love and his forgiveness and his mercy. The first song which came spontaneously from the lips of the children of Israel after they had crossed the Red Sea. In the 15th chapter of Exodus, it tells us after they looked and they saw the Egyptians dead upon the shore when the waters came and overtook them. 
Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he is become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him in habitation. My father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. This was the first song that the children of Israel sang. It was taught to them in their hearts by God. By the Lord, who was a man of war and who would preserve that blessed covenant, that blessed promise, no matter how many chariots there would be in pursuit. This is that beautiful song that they sang there not long after they crossed the Red Sea. And what a beautiful song it is when we realize that it tells us of how the Lord is a man of war. We hear of wars and rumors of wars today. We see protests and there will be one in this city today against war. We wonder what's the right thing, what's the wrong thing to do about war. And yet we see that God has always used war when it is necessary to vanquish the enemies of his people. He has always used war when it has been necessary to preserve his covenant and his promise so that it carries forward all the way from eternity to eternity. And I believe that as frightening as it is to our hearts, that even today yet the Lord is a man of war. And he says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And therefore let us give thanks that we do not need to fight with the tools of this world. We do not need to rely upon and place our reliance upon military might and strength, though it seems to be great. But rather let us remember that we place our reliance upon he who has always used war as a method of carrying out his will and I believe that he will do so again that was the first song that they sang and now they come to another body of water this time on the near side of it before they cross and now God wants to teach them another song 
And he tells Moses to write down this song and teach it to the children of Israel. He tells him again of the troubles that are going to come and the other gods that they are going to serve. And he says, And it shall come to pass when many evils and troubles are befallen them that this song shall testify against them as a witness, for it shall not be forgotten out of the mouths of their seed. For I know their imagination which they go about even now before I have brought them into the land which I swear. And Moses therefore wrote this song the same day and taught it the children of Israel. Isn't it remarkable that here now Moses pauses before his death to write this song to teach it to the children of Israel. It was critically important that they learn this song. What was the song? The song is found in the next chapter and it is lengthy. But when we look upon that song that Moses wrote from the first verse and I believe that it ends at the 43rd verse of the 32nd chapter. What is that song about? That song is about the rock. That song is about the rock. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are judgment, a God of truth and without iniquity. Just and right is he, says the fourth verse. The 18th verse says, Of the rock that begat thee, thou art unmindful, and thou hast forgotten God that formed thee. The other thing that this song is remarkable for is that it does not say one word about the obedience of man. Not one word of that song speaks about man being obedient, but it only speaks about man's disobedience. It speaks over and over of how fallen man is, how weak man is, and how man is unable to even remain with the God that has formed him. But it speaks of his disobedience and also of God's faithfulness. This is the song. This is the song that was taught there to the children of Israel on the shore of the River Jordan. This is the song that the Lord himself said will reach beyond the River Jordan and it will be a witness against you. It will testify against these people there in the wilderness as they fall away. What's wrong with this picture here? My mind would say something is drastically wrong because they had the Ark of the Covenant with them. They still had the tables there in the ark. Why didn't they take those out? Why didn't God command now after all of these years of journeying? Why don't you take out those tables and review those once again before all the people of Israel? No. He said, you find a new law. You find this song. This is the law then that not only will you write Moses and teach to the children of Israel, but you will also attach it to the side. You will put it in the side of the ark of the covenant of your God, that it may be there for a witness against thee. Isn't it amazing how this took place? For if they had taken out the words of the commandments from Mount Sinai, what would be the result? The result would be that the focus would be on the obedience of man and how obedient they could be to those commandments. But instead we find a song that has nothing to do with man's obedience and it has everything to do with the faithfulness and the love of God. How remarkable and how beautiful a picture it is to us of how God deals with us. I pray that even though there are those today, perhaps in the Israelite nation, who continue to believe that it is through their obedience, their obedience to that old covenant that was the old tables that were in the Ark of the Covenant, through their obedience, they are going to find favor with God. There are those who have not yet received nor believe that Christ Jesus the Lord has come 
has lived and has died and has been resurrected. And I pray that in all of this time, there might be, we might be able to see the nation Israel and the people whom God has chosen, the people in whom this song has been placed, that this may be their calling also, that they may be able to find, just as their forefathers would have found in the wilderness, that it was that song of the love of God that testified against them there in the wilderness. As we look at this, we see that the song would be the, the testimony and the promise will be that it shall not be forgotten out of the mouths of their seed, that it will not be forgotten. And I, I believe today that that song has not yet been forgotten, that song of the love of God. And I pray that there might be the calling unto the Lord Jesus Christ through that song. For what is the love of God? The love of God is expressed to us in the person of his Son, our Lord and our Savior, Christ Jesus. It is that love that has been extended unto us. And here at Easter time, as we approach it, we can reflect upon the beautiful love of God sent down to us in the form of man so that he might be able to die and atone for all of our sin. This is the song that he places into the heart. This is the song of thankfulness. And whenever our hearts are uplifted in thankfulness, how often do we find that our hearts are giving thanks for our own cunning and obedience? Never. But when the heart has been filled with thankfulness, we do not look upon our obedience because when we do, we see nothing but disobedience and broken covenants. But yet when we look upon the Lord Jesus Christ, when we sing this new song, this new song that has been taught to, to the Israelite people, that new song is the testimony of the love of God. And it is a beautiful testimony to us even today of the great love of God that has been shed to us through our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. It was not adequate for the children of Israel to look upon that which was already in the ark and say, by the Ten Commandment law, we are going to successfully reach the promised land. When we look at that, we are reminded also of the words of the Apostle Paul. How does he say, for what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh. God sending his own son and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. He sent his own son for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. It isn't that the law is sometimes able and sometimes not able. And when I speak of the law, I mean that old covenant. It isn't that it works sometimes, but not always. It says for what the law could not do. It could not do it. It could not preserve those Israelite people crossing the River Jordan, nor in the wilderness could it be a testimony against them. But this new song, this new law, was put into the ark on the side of the ark of the covenant there. And then we remember how they entered the promised land when the feet of the priests of the 12 tribes of Israel carrying the ark of the covenant touched the waters of Jordan, the swollen River Jordan. When they touched the waters of Jordan, the waters stopped from upstream and built up for some time as the children of Israel crossed as on dry land across the, the river Jordan and headed for the city of Jericho, which was the first city that they were to take as they entered that promised land. How beautiful a, a picture it is of the song that accompanied them, that set them free from the question of whether they were obedient enough to please God and gave them a new hope 
in the grace and in the love of God that is expressed today through Christ Jesus the Lord. This is that song. And then, therefore, Moses wrote the song and taught it to the children of Israel. He charged Joshua with the charge that he would be the next leader of the people. Be strong and of a good courage, he tells him. And how often should we also, in these perilous times, exhort one another the same way? Be strong. Be of a good courage. The Lord is in command. He is in control. Be strong and of a good courage. For thou shalt bring the children of Israel into the land which I swear unto them, and I will be with thee. And it came to pass when Moses had made an end of writing the words of this law in a book until they were finished, that Moses commanded the Levites, which bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, saying, Take this book of the law and put it in the side of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there for a witness against me. What is that law? How else does Paul refer to this different, this new law? Again, in the 8th chapter of, of Romans, just preceding the verse concerning what the law could not do, it tells us those familiar words, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. And I believe that this represents in the Old Testament the manifestation of what Paul was saying. <clears throat> that those Israelite people, having been taught this new song, which was a new law unto them of the love of God, that law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death, which rested in the Ark of the Covenant. And then they went on. But they didn't all go on because Moses ended there. There have sometimes been questions about the fate of Moses when God allowed him to see from the high mountain the promised land. He said that I have caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over thither, was what the Lord said unto Moses. But I believe that this was the beautiful plan of God, that he would see the end of Moses properly. Moses representing the old law, the old covenant, that he would bring him and he would say that you will see the promised land. And doesn't the law give a glimpse of it? If you could only fulfill the law, you would be righteous. If you could only fulfill that Old, that old Testament law, if that law could be fulfilled, you would be righteous. You would receive eternal life. But it cannot be done because of the weakness of flesh. The law cannot be fulfilled by sinful flesh, anyone, no matter how good no matter how diligent. And therefore, the only one who could fulfill the law, Jesus Christ, has come and he has fulfilled that law on our behalf. So now we look not to our obedience to that law as the means to be made righteous to God, but we look unto Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith, he who has fulfilled that law in our behalf. And by faith, we believe that he has done it for me. He has fulfilled the law in order that I might live, and that by believing on his name, I might be made righteous. This is the beautiful picture that we have. And this was why, I believe, God saw fit to end the life of Moses, who was in perfect health. And not only to end his life, but he himself buried Moses. It says that Moses, the servant of the Lord, died in the land of Moab. This is in the 34th chapter of Deuteronomy. He died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab over against Beth Peor. 
but no man knoweth of his sepulcher unto this day. This is the picture of the care that God takes so that misunderstandings will not arise. He saw fit to end the life, to take the breath of life from Moses, and then he himself buried him in a place where no man can find his body. Why? Because if some man had buried him, someone could dig him up. Someone could dig him up and say that maybe there is a possibility that this great prophet Moses and his teachings might be able to get me righteousness before God. But his sepulcher is hidden. He can never be found. And now the Israelite people moved on with this new song in their hearts, that new and that beautiful song. The first song, a song of deliverance. The next song, a song of hope. Hope in the Lord and hope in the faithfulness of God. Where do we find then reference again to that song? The other evening our brother was speaking from the book of Revelation and speaking of some of these songs that are put into our hearts. But perhaps nowhere do we find it more clearly where this song reappears. It's in an interesting place in the 15th chapter of Revelation. Early part. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast, and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. These are, are the redeemed children of God that John is writing of here when he says, I saw those, the image of those who had gotten victory over the beast, the devil, Satan, over his image, over his mark, and over the number of his name standing on the sea of glass. And they sang. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God. The song of Moses. Moses who died in the Old Testament. What are they doing singing the song of Moses? Because it is the same song as the song of the Lamb. As they sing the song, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God. And the song of the Lamb saying, Great and marvelous are, are thy works, Lord God Almighty, just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. The song of Moses that he wrote and taught to the people and the song of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, are the same song which come together in this. Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Great and marvelous are thy works. And from this we can see that it was that song that was taught to them. That song was the reflection of Jesus Christ our Lord way back then in the Old Testament at the shore of the River Jordan. They were taught the song of hope that is in Christ Jesus. And now the redeemed that are, that are seen by John are singing the same song. There is no shame in that song of Moses, for that song does not speak of the obedience of man through the law, but that song speaks for through... What are they doing singing the song of Moses? Because it is the same song as the song of the Lamb. As they sing the song, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are, are thy works, Lord God Almighty, just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. The song of Moses that he wrote and taught to the people, and the song of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, are the same song which come together in this. Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Great and marvelous are thy works. And from this we can see 
that it was that song that was taught to them. That song was the reflection of Jesus Christ our Lord way back then in the Old Testament at the shore of the River Jordan. They were taught the song of hope that is in Christ Jesus. And now the redeemed that are, that are seen by John are singing the same song. There is no shame in that song of Moses. For that song does not speak of the obedience of man through the law. But that song speaks for, through of the Lamb, the Lamb of God that takes away all of the sin of the world. I pray that that song might be in our hearts. And when he places that new song within our hearts, that we would give thanks to him and to him only. I pray that in the nation Israel today, that song that was taught to their forefathers might carry forward and may affect their hearts and be a testimony against them when it is revealed to them that that song that their forefathers carried was the song of Jesus Christ the Lord and that they might be able to receive him in great numbers. I pray even as a parent that when we think of the way that God dealt with the Israelite people, sending them off into the wilderness. And he said, there's great trouble going to come unto these children of Israel. Don't we sometimes as parents feel that way? When our children are leaving home, they're heading off into the wilderness. We know there's trouble. We know there's lots of trouble. And I pray that we have placed that new song into their hearts. That new song, which if they go astray, will be a testimony against them. And if they remain in the household of faith, will give them great joy and peace and comfort every day of their lives. I pray that for those young people. Amber Lynn, who was baptized this morning, is my prayer that God would guide and gently keep you all the days of your life. And I pray that for every young person, we might have that fervent prayer that God would preserve them, the next generation. May he therefore bless and strengthen us by his word, and may he give us all the great comfort of this song of the Lamb, the song of Jesus Christ our Lord, in his precious and holy name. Amen. Shall we receive the benediction? And now the Lord bless us and keep us. The Lord make his face shine upon us and be gracious unto us. The Lord lift up his countenance upon us and give us everlasting peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. We'll continue our services at 6 o'clock this evening with Ben Johnson. Coffee Group 6 will serve this evening. A Tuesday evening, the youth group meets here at 7 o'clock. Wednesday night Bible study here at 7.30. Next Sunday, our Sunday school at 9.15 and our Sunday morning services at 10.30. Now there will be a free will offering taken during this last song, page 442.